Welcome again to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill. Thanks again for joining us in what is week four of our Christmas series, Waiting on Christmas, a sermon entitled Comfort for the Troubled Soul. Of course, by the time you get this, it will be the new year. The truth is, though, this message really is looking to the new year. And I asked this question, what would we all like to experience more of in 2020? And I think we would all agree we would like to experience more peace. Let's talk about it in this message. Hey, again, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with the message. And you can also, if you would like, contribute. There's a button you can click on and you can contribute to the ministry of Robinson Grace Church as well. Again, thanks for being here. I think you'll find this message very encouraging and very hopeful as we look towards the new year. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. And let's get right to the message, Comfort for the Troubled Soul. All righty. Well, I'm going to start with a question this morning, if I can. Now, and, and I want you to think about this for a minute or so, 30 seconds, see how long I give you. But uh, then I'm going to let a few of you, if you want to share your answers, you can do this. But um, here's the question for the new year. What one, one thing I would like more of in 2020? And you can be as honest as you want with this, I don't care. One thing I would like to experience more of in 2020. You can answer that from either angle. One thing I would like more of or one thing I would like to experience more of in 2020. Just take a second if you could. I'll give you 10 seconds of silence to write down an answer and then we'll see what some of you are desiring for in 2020. Anybody want to share what they're looking for in 2020? Anybody? Yeah. A new kitten. Okay. So you want more pets in 2020. Okay. Woo! And grandma and grandpa say, yeah. Same as 20, more of 2019, huh? There you go. That's a good answer. Anybody? More of Jesus. More kind words and patience when angry. More people to witness to. More people to witness to. That would be my dad. That's right. I can drive you any big shopping mall America. There's lots of people there. <laughs> more opportunity to write the word of God. She's been writing Sunday school lessons the last couple of years. Anybody? I want more. I want to experience more of something, or I want more of. Very good. You got a good family, so you got a great sister. So, how did I say? I didn't say that exactly right. I've got a great sister. You don't, you don't got a great sister. All right. Hey, anyway, let's... That's why you don't get into this ad-lib stuff. You stick to the script, right? Okay, well, this morning I'm going to talk about something that I think uh, all of us, nobody said it this morning, but I'll bet you when I'm done talking this morning, you'll say, yeah, I'd like more of that. In, I'd like to experience more of that in 2020. We're going to wrap up this series. It's been a four-week series where we've been uh, talking about waiting on Christmas and here's the thing. Let me start with the emptiness of Christmas. So here's the reality. Uh, there's this emptiness in Christmas. It really is. And as we said, we're always waiting for Christmas to come. And as soon as Christmas is done and the new year gets by us, it won't be long until we just 
we'll be longing for Christmas again. Now we don't like the we don't like the credit card bills and we don't like, you know, some of the <laughs> some of the stuff to clean up after the holidays. But before long, we are desiring Christmas. And the reason is is the Christmas traditions, the gifts, the parties, the decorations, the memories, all that stuff. The traditions no matter how religious, the gifts no matter how exciting or fun, the decorations no matter how beautiful, the memories, no matter how cherished, they don't fill the emptiness in our soul. And even the New Year's resolutions that we're going to make here in a few days, they're not going to fill up the emptiness of our soul, and there's something we're always left longing for. Now, I, I'm speaking of the world in general, not of us necessarily as Christians, because we, hopefully, as, as Christians, we know the true fullness of, of life, and especially of Christmas, and so we don't have this emptiness let me take you to the saddest verse in the Christmas narrative. I was thinking this week about this verse. And it's found in Matthew 2, 3, when the wise men arrive at King Herod. And when King Herod, the king, heard this, that Jesus had been born, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And I thought, what a really sad, sad, sad verse. Just think about the sad reality of that verse, that they were troubled about the news of Jesus and transitioning from the emptiness of Christmas, transitioning then to the truth of Christmas. And, and, and thinking about the truth of Christmas this morning, here is the reality. Look at this verse. I found this verse in Galatians 4.19 that crossed my mind. And if you think about the new year, we're all going to start setting New Year's resolutions for 2020 so that we can have more of, you know, family or more pets or whatever it is, we'll set our resolutions. <laughs> and uh, Here's this verse tucked away in Galatians 4.19 where Paul had started this church in Galatia and had founded them on the grace of God and then people had come in and started saying, no, you got to keep the law. And so Paul kind of reprimands them here and he says, my little children from who, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Uh, how about that for a New Year's resolution? I want more of Christ to be formed in me in 2020. That's the simple reality what a great prayer request that would be here's the thing in the end christmas was all about god becoming one of us and the new year is all about uh, christ being formed in us that's the reality christ came down and became one of us at christmas and then in the new year it's all about us christ being formed in us more of christ being formed within us and within our life and I think that's pretty powerful. And Paul's prayer here, his desire here for Christ to be formed in them, that's his desire for everyone. For those who don't know Christ, he wants them to come to know Christ and Christ to be formed in them. And for those of us who do know Christ, he wants Christ, more of Christ, to be, uh, to be fulfilled within us. Now, when I say the deepest desire and longing of every human heart, and we can say that, that the deepest desire and longing of every human heart is that Christ would be formed within us, uh, I can back that up with Scripture. You know why I can say that with great clarity? Because if you go back to the verse, very first pages of Scripture, to the book of Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve, we can say this about Adam and Eve, before they sinned, Christ was perfectly formed in them. He was. He was perfectly formed. That's the relationship they had with God. He was perfectly formed in them. They were living in relationship with Him. They were living in harmony with Him. And then, of course, sin came along and disrupted all that. Sin came along and messed all that up. And that's why I said in that last series about our heart, I said, you know, the, the reality is Adam and Eve didn't want to eat the fruit in that tree. That was not the desire of their heart. It took someone outside of them. It took someone to entice them, to pull them away, to, pu to pull them to that tree. Because 
they were kind of scared. We can't touch that tree or we'll die. They were scared of that tree. Someone pulled them in and said, don't be scared of it. This is what you really want. And of course, that is our reality today. We get enticed in and convinced we want something we don't. That was not the desire of their heart. Christ was perfectly formed in them. So here's the reality when we think about this issue. What does it look like for Christ to be formed in us? What does that mean? That simply means that we are realizing our greater potential in Christ. That Christ has developed more and more in us. And the, we have this greater and greater potential. I've got an illustration here. And maybe this is a weak illustration. But maybe it will help. But if you've got a smartphone. You can get the latest smartphone like an iPhone 11. Maybe you had an iPhone 6 or something. You get the new iPhone 11. Whatever the latest model is. And, and you get this smartphone. <clears throat> and this smartphone has all these apps and can do all these amazing things. It can cook your food for you. You know, it can make your coffee for you in the morning. You know, it can, it's an amazing, this, this iPhone can do everything and you got this phone. The reality is you just don't know all that it can do. And so you're making your own coffee still and cooking your own meals still and doing your own dishes. Your iPhone can do it for you. They really can't, but that the point of this is that you have these phones and many times these phones have more potential than we know. And we are learning all the time. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I can get a new kitten with my iPhone. Woo! And so that's kind of our life in Christ. We have the fullness of Christ in us. And uh, when we're saved, he's in us. And now we want Christ to be formed in us. We want to get as close to where Adam and Eve were. We want Christ to, to live through us and live out of us. And we want to realize our greater potential in So we're going to finish up this series today, Waiting on Christmas, by going to look at a very righteous man and seeing how his reality is very similar to our reality. This is one of those men in the Christmas narrative, one of those people, and and I've made this point quite a bit the last couple years, I think, that the shepherds and the wise men and Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and all these key people in the Christmas narrative... They were all righteous people who were looking for the Messiah. They were longing for the Messiah. They believed he would come. And this man is no different. Simeon is no different. His story starts, uh, we're going to pick it up in Luke 2.25. And 40 days after the birth of Jesus, the mom and dad bring him into the temple for the, for the ceremonial consecration according to the law. And here's what we find out in Luke 2.25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So Simeon had this promise and he had been waiting for this promise and he's an old man and he's tired and it's like, oh, now, now I can depart in peace because I have seen the Lord's salvation. I have seen the light come into the darkness. And the one word I want to focus on this morning is this idea of peace, this idea that he can now depart in peace. And, and, I, and I do think, I, I debated, you know, what is the, what is the makeup of Simeon's life all these years and and I do think that there was a bit of a troubling in his soul that's the kind of the sense that I get that he looked at the world and 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 
in, in his own life, he was at peace with God probably, but for the world around him, there's a, a bit of a troubling for the world around him, a, a bit of a grief and heartache because he saw the emptiness, he saw the, the hopelessness, he saw the brokenness and the sadness and the darkness that consumed the world. And so now he is ready to depart in peace. I asked the question earlier, what's the one thing you want more of in 2020? How many would like more peace in 2020? I think that's a pretty good answer. I think that's a pretty good answer. I think we all want to experience more and greater and deep peace. And here's the reality, um, that the more Christ is formed in us, the more we're going to experience this peace. It's that simply. The more we learn to, to look to the Scriptures and to let Christ be formed in us, the more His peace will flow out of us. Here's today's big idea. If you want to experience more peace in life, know that in Christ there is more than enough peace for life. That if you're in Christ, there is more than enough peace in you for anything you're going to face in 2020 and beyond. There is more than enough peace, and we need to let that peace be formed in us. So let me give you two lessons today on peace. The first, the first lesson will consume almost all of our time, and I'll mention the second less, lesson at the end. But here's the first lesson. We can be at peace in a world without peace. We can. We can be at peace in a world without peace. Uh, note again what Simeon says about peace. S Simeon sees Jesus and says, I've seen peace. Now I can depart in peace. There is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And so the reality is, Simeon's not saying the world is all automatically at peace. But he's at peace because here's the answer. Here, here's the answer he's been waiting to see, to know. Let's state the obvious here. First, the obvious is that Jesus is indeed peace. Bible says he is the prince of peace. The angels came and said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You want peace in life, Jesus is your peace. So that's obvious. The other side of the obvious coin is simply this. Um, uh, the second side of the obvious coin, simply this. Uh, the, this world is not at peace. We know that, we live that, we experience that, we see that all the time. This world is not at peace. We had a great, fascinating testimony this week. Someone had gone over to, taken a trip and gone over towards the, the Middle East, and they were in a cave, and, 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 and on this journey, they ended up in Bethlehem in this cave, and they were singing some Christmas carols and kind of celebrating the birth of Christ. And the reality is, is that it, it struck this individual that here they are, right in the vicinity where Christ was born, and it's one of the most violent, one of the most uh, terror-driven, one of the most unpeaceful places in the planet. And I think that is really fascinating to think about. The, the very place, the, all the nationalities that, that would kind of surround the birth of Christ over there, they don't get along, and there's war, and there's trouble, and there's, term, and there's turmoil in America, but not like there is over there in the Middle East. And just a fascinating thought to think about that reality. As I read some commentaries this week about Simeon, it was interesting. You get the idea that he really, he says he's a servant of the Lord. And you get this idea that he really is a slave and God is his master. And he's toiled for the master all of these years and he's tired and he's worn out. And he's waiting for this moment, not even knowing what this moment would look like. He didn't know when the Messiah walked into the temple that it would be a little baby. He had no idea. And yet, in walks Jesus and the Holy Spirit whispers in his ear, this is the one. We get the sense of Simeon as one, watch this, who is bearing the weight of this world's darkness and hopelessness. He knows the Messiah is promised and coming and does, not, uh, and does not seem to have any doubts. Still, he sees the pain in the eyes of the people around him. He feels the emptiness and the hopelessness in their souls. And this is a burden he carries. And so... 
he says, now I can depart in peace. I've seen the answer. Here's the thing, you know, it's interesting. So there's 400 years, right, of, of silence. There is 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and when Jesus is born. 400 years of silence there. And uh, at least it, it appears God didn't speak publicly. Was God speaking at all? Well, he spoke to Simeon, didn't he? He said to Simeon, you know what? You will not die. And it might have been 80 years earlier. or I don't know when he spoke to Simeon or 70 years. But somewhere towards the end of that 400 years, God speaks to Simeon and says, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's salvation, until you see the hope of Israel, until you see the light of the world and the prince of peace. And he's been waiting on this and he is tired. And so in comes this infant. And this tired, old, feeble, his tired, old, feeble hands lift up this baby to the heavens. And he offers up his praise. Another interesting thing about, uh, just in the text here about Simeon, is the influence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Because three times we see this. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And so here he is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He walks in the temple that day like every other day. And that he's there. And then Mary and Joseph walk in and the Holy Spirit says... There he is. You've been waiting for him for 70 years, 50 years, however long. And uh, he says, now, Master, you can dismiss your slave uh, in peace as you have promised. So here's the, the basic sense here is we can be at peace in a world without peace. And Simeon now has peace. The world's not at peace yet, but Simeon has peace. Why? Because he has seen the Prince of Peace. He has seen the peace on earth, the goodwill toward. He has seen peace enter the world. Let me give you four examples of where we can experience peace in this world today. Four areas where we can experience peace in the midst of an unpeaceful world. Number one, four specific areas. Um, first, we can be at peace with God. And this is really important to start here because this is where all peace begins. And if you're in this room and you're not at peace with God, you're not going to know peace. And again, all the Christmas traditions and decorations and parties and memories and get-togethers will not bring you peace. There's no resolutions that will bring you peace. It just isn't going to happen. But we can be at peace with God. And so Simeon, when speaking of Jesus, says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is the path to peace. He is the salvation to God. Here it is. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. Peace with God. Here's what it says in, down in verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And reconciliation, that's just a big theological term for being at peace. And the reality is there's two enemies and they're no longer enemies. Or they don't have to be enemies. Somebody has made the first move. There's two friends that are at odds and now they're, they're not at odds. They have made up. Or at least one has made the move to make peace and to make up. And so that's the simple reality. Let me give you one other passage along this line. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and that's the key, note that phrase, in Christ. Location, location, location. If you want peace, there's more than enough peace for this world in Christ. Meaning you have to be in Christ and Christ has to be in you. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if he is saved and alive, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the old has passed away, the new has come. That's a great picture. You know what that's a great picture of? Simeon and Jesus. Simeon, the old, passed away. The old covenant, law, passed away. Jesus, the new, has come. He goes on, uh, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God's given you the, the, the message, the ministry of reconciliation today. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're the ambassadors to go out and tell the world, hey, God has made peace with you. God is no longer angry with you. You can have a relationship with your creator. How amazing is that? Today's big idea again. If you, want, if you want to experience more peace in life, know that in Christ there is more than enough peace for life. But you've got to be at peace with God. And if there's anyone in the room today and you're not at peace with God, do not walk out those doors today before you make sure you're at peace with God. And you don't got to walk down front. You don't got to stand up or jump through any hoops. You have to simply believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to earth as a baby, to die on the cross for your sins, for your wrongs, for your imperfections. To make peace between you and God. And you just receive that. Say, I want to be at peace with God. I want His forgiveness. I'm coming to the altar today to receive the forgiveness of Christ. To become a new creation in Christ. That's all you have to do. And you can do that in your heart. And if you haven't done that, make sure you do that before you leave today. Make sure you do that. Because when you leave this earth, if you're not at peace with God, it's not going to be a good thing. You don't want your loved ones to walk the valley of the shadow of death and not know that you were not at peace with God. <clears throat> we can be at peace with each other in this world. We can. We can be at peace with each other. Anybody here have any relationships where you need a little peace in your relationships? You have anybody you have a tough time? Anybody have any coworkers they have a tough time getting along with? Any neighbors? Any family members? Any relatives? Well, here's the reality. We can be at peace with each other. Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay to no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And verse 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If, if, you ha if you're at peace with God, if God has made peace with you and you've, you've received that peace and you're at peace with God, then it's your responsibility to make peace with those around you. In fact, what we need to do is simply we need to follow the example of Christ. Let Christ be formed in us in our relationships and just treat others the way Christ did. And what did Christ do? Christ went to the cross. And Christ did everything in his power and on his end to make peace with every single person on the planet. And he paid for their redemption. He set them free. He, uh, he offers them forgiveness. Now, we have to receive it. We have to receive his forgiveness. And we have to let him redeem us. And we have to let him adopt us. But he's done everything on his end. The ball's in our court. It's up to us to respond. If you want to be at peace with God, he did it all. You just have to say, yeah. I want to be at peace with my creator. I want to know that level of peace in my life so we can be at peace with each other. 
and, and knowing this kind of peace really involves, what, what did Christ do? Great humility, an attitude of humility, and laying down your rights. And Christ laid down his rights and, uh, and uh, acted in great humility so we could be at peace with God. That's how you're going to do it in your relationships, every one of your relationships, same way. Here's what, again, it said in this passage, okay? Live peaceably with all, uh, never be haughty, uh, never be wise in your own eyes, live in harmony, uh, repay no one evil for evil, and treat others with, with honor. How do, you, how do you do everything on your part? If you're going to do everything you can in your power to live at peace with everyone, right there, there's a handful of things. But here's the first one. I'll go back to the very first thing he says in verse 14. Uh, bless those who persecute you by praying for them. You want to live at peace with those that you're at odds with and you want to make the first move? Just pray for them. I'm telling you that'll transform any relationship. You start praying because he says make peace with everyone. That includes not just your friends. That means your enemies means the people that just annoy the life out of you what do you do you just you pray for them and you say lord would you just bless so and so even though he drives me crazy would you bless him today and you start praying for their blessing it'll change your attitude towards them do everything you can to live in peace think about this so jesus did everything he could on his end to make peace with us right what did he do he went to the cross and gave his life all you have to do is maybe offer a prayer up and ask for god to bless him that's a pretty good deal i'd say right pretty good deal okay i find this fascinating i might have shared this several years back <clears throat> but um th there was an individual who uh, was speaking over in asia and he asked his audience members to close their eyes and to describe a picture of peace and so here are some of the pictures they describe one person described a field with flowers and beautiful trees another person spoke of a snow-capped mountains and incredible alpine landscape still another described the scene of a beautiful still lake and and everybody shared their pictures that day and and they all had one thing in common every picture and description of peace eliminated everybody else pretty fascinating someone made someone made this option um, isn't it interesting when asked to imagine peace the first thing we do is to eliminate everyone else then i can have peace right well i'm here to tell you you can have peace in a world without peace even in your relationships even in those people that maybe annoy you we can be at peace with each other. Third, we can be at peace with our circumstances. Just think of Mary a minute, if you could, if you could draw your attention to Mary. And there's this verse that I'm always drawn to, this powerful moment in the Christmas story when Mary is there and the shepherds have just left the manger scene. And Mary says this, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She didn't say it, that's a description of what was going on within her. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And just think about Mary. So Mary, about nine months earlier, found out that she was going to be a mother and she didn't ask to be a mother. And she's going to be pregnant. And then she got the stares and she got the looks and she heard the whispers and she heard the rumors and she bore that baby and went through, as we said last week, all the normal things, all the pain, you know, or the sickness early on, the nesting, all that stuff. And then at the most inopportune time, David, uh, Joseph comes and says, we got to go to Bethlehem. It's a, not about 90 miles away, uh, about 20 miles you cover a day. You're talking about four or five day journey to go to Bethlehem and then and they get to Bethlehem and then of course there's no place to stay and they end up uh, down in this shepherd's tower with 
all the sacrificial lambs around them, and they give birth. And I think Mary's at peace. I think Mary's at peace. And maybe she wasn't at peace with her circumstances, but she was at peace within herself because God had come to her and told her what was going to happen and what was, what was happening. And so here is Mary finding peace in her circumstances. If you want to experience more peace in life, know that in Christ there is more than enough peace for life. There is more than enough peace for life in Christ. There is. If you're in Christ, I don't care what you go through. If Mary can go through what she went through, I don't think you're ever going to face something like what Mary faced. And I think she could look back with great fondness at that. Uh, how do we experience peace in, in this world, in our circumstances? Paul explains in, in, in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And how do we find this peace? Thank you, Tim. Somehow you pulled that off. But how do we find peace in our situations like this? Well, we experience peace when we pray. So just going to the Lord in prayer and taking our petitions to God. There we go. We experience peace as we pray. And I was thinking it's kind of like if you can picture a bridge. So you're over here and you're in stress and you're in turmoil and anxiety and life's a mess. And so you get on this bridge and you start praying and you cross over this bridge until you experience this peace that goes beyond human understanding, this, this peace that shouldn't even exist and you find peace. Now here's what happens for most of us, right? We pray and we cross that bridge and we're over here and it's great. And then we start Sneaking back over the bridge. And pretty soon we're all stressed out and afraid and scared and worried and full of anxious. And we pray and we get back over here and, and then we're back over here in peace. How do we stay over here in this state of peace? That's the key. Well, Paul goes on and tells us how. He says it this way in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, <laughs> if there is anything... Worthy of dwelling on. Think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so we experience peace as we worship. There, there's just this mindset, this attitude of, of just worship. Of what, what do we dwell on? It's whatever we choose to dwell on, whatever we choose to focus on. And if we dwell on our problems, we're going to keep going back over here to the other side of the bridge. and being. But if we can dwell on what is honorable and worthy and trustworthy and beautiful, we will stay in that state of peace. And so pray and worship and you can have peace. One of the things we can learn here in the text, and this is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 33 through 35. Later on, Simeon speaks some more to Mary and Joseph and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So he's just said those things about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, special words for mom, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be Revealed And just what a, what a statement there. A sword will pierce your own soul. Meaning one day Christ will go to the cross and they'll stick a spear in his side and blood and water will flow out. But the reality is you can, 
you also will have a, a, a sword will pierce your side. And the reality is we can have peace even in our pain. Even in the pain that we experience in life, we can have peace. Here's the thing. We may not always be at peace with our circumstances, but within those circumstances, we can have great peace knowing that there is more than enough peace in Christ. Bottom line, we can have peace in a world without peace, and that leads us to the fourth reality. We can even be at peace with ourselves. Think about that. You can be at peace with yourself today. Are you at peace with yourself? I don't think we think about this a lot, but can I ask you that question? Are you at peace today with yourself? Now, sure, having peace in our inner man and being at peace with ourselves kind of goes back to being at peace with God. But, but, but there's more here that I want us to think about. I wonder, does God give you more mercy and grace than you give yourself? Are you harder on yourself than God is hard on you? I don't know about you, but the new year comes and we can get very hopeful in the new year. I do. I, I just kind of sense that this year. Like a lot of hope for the new year. What can this new year bring? What can we accomplish? What can I accomplish? What can my life look like? What can happen in the new year? And there's a lot of hope wrapped up as we think about 2020, right? And then before long, it becomes another year of failure, another year of disappointment with ourselves, another year of longing for more. Again, it goes back to what we said that our best goal for the new year is real simple. It is Christ being formed in us. Would Christ be formed in us? Can I realize more and more of my potential in Christ? And I was thinking about that this week as I looked at us as a church. As I look across and think about the people of this church, I can honestly say, I see Christ being formed in you. I see you reaching more of your potential in Christ. I see more of, of Christ shining out of you Every year, and that's just the way it's supposed to be. The bottom line in all this is sometimes we can be hard on ourselves and maybe we need to be a little more at peace with ourselves. Don't forget Romans 8, 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, like I said, location, location, location. I think Don always said that. Location, location, location. It's really important, and it's spiritually important. Are you in Christ or are you in Adam? Because that makes all of the difference. So here's the reality. If God has stopped condemning you, maybe you should stop condemning you. Maybe you should be at peace with who you are in Christ. Maybe you should be at peace with the person God has made you to be and stop trying to earn everyone's approval. Maybe you should like yourself a little more. I mean, you live with yourself more than anyone. So how about that? We can be at peace with ourselves. Now, there's a reality we need to address, though. There is a real clear reality. And that's in this life, we are fighting a spiritual battle. I get it. I understand it. So let me walk you through a few verses here, because Paul dealt with this in Romans 7, in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 15 here. And if you find yourself in a spiritual battle and you find yourself losing, you might not always feel at peace. Romans 7, 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody relate to that? Anybody, you ever just hate yourself? It's like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I act that way? And, and you just hate yourself. He goes on, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Um, verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Great clarification. Okay, we're not defined by our sin, we're defined by being in Christ, by the identity of Christ. 
For I know, verse 18, that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so, and then note what Paul says here, there's nothing good in me. Well, now, time out, we know there's something good in Paul, right? The Holy Spirit's in Paul, he indwells Paul. Something good dwells in Paul. Well, what Paul's talking about here, because he immediately clarifies, well, not in my flesh, there's nothing good in my flesh. And the difference here is this, understand the difference here is this, is that Christ indwells me, that's true, but more than indwells me, Christ is me. Do you get that? He is, he is what defines me. He is my identity. We sang about it today. So Christ doesn't just indwell me. He is me. Sin, sin is in me, but sin is not me. Sin is not my nature. Sin does not define me. Sin is not who I am. It's something I do on occasion. And I hate it when I do it. So Paul says, there's nothing good in me. Well, nothing good in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Why? Because I have a new creation heart that desires the things of God. I want to do the things of God. But in my flesh, I can't carry it out. And so I say what I don't want to say. I do what I don't want to do. I think what I don't want to think. My hands, my feet, my eyes, whatever, travel where I don't want them to travel. That's the reality. Down in verse 19 then, he goes on. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And again, he just specifies, you are not, sin is not you. Please understand, if you get anything in the last year or so, just get that reality. Sin is not you. Christ is you. And so that's the reality. And so there's this flesh. And of course, the flesh are the habits of our old man. The, the, the flesh are the ideologies and philosophies of this world. Flesh, is, it's, the, it's the impulses of our physical fleshly body. That's the flesh. And the spirit, of course, is who I am in Christ. And so there's this constant battle between my spirit, what I truly want, and the flesh, what I sometimes think I want. And I may not experience peace in my inner man within that battle. So how do I find peace? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 24. Wretched, as in a miserable man that I am. I'm just miserable. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that I myself serve the law of God with my mind. In my mind, where I, where I dwell, where I put my mind is going to determine. Is going to determine my success or failure in this Christian life, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So I set my eyes on the things of God with my mind. I set my mind on the things of God, but my flesh is constantly fighting me. And so in this context, you understand that in this context, that there is times I'm not at peace with myself. So how, how does that work? The, the thing is, I want you to know you can be at peace with yourself even in the midst of of losing that battle because Christ has won the war. Even when you're losing the battle, you can be at peace with, within yourself. You may not always be at peace with your failures and, with, and, that, and that lack of peace there is what drives us and motivates us to want to walk in victory. Can I just say this as well? That the Holy Spirit who's in us is always speaking the truth to us and bearing witness with us. Here's what he says. The Holy Spirit's saying, hey, that sin you are committing, it is not who you are. It is something you are doing. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to do it. You have been set free and empowered to live free. So again, it might look like this. I can have peace within myself even as I am losing the battle, knowing that Christ has won the ultimate war. 
Yet I might not have peace with that specific struggle and battle, whatever it is. And that lack of peace is what drives us and motivates us to, to live as an overcomer and walk in greater victory. So I will say this, if you have a certain area, think about this, a certain area in your life, in your spiritual life, where you are not at peace because you feel like the flesh is always defeating the spirit and winning that battle, think about that very area where you need to see, that's the very area where you need to see Christ formed in you more deeply, more personally. Maybe it is an attitude, maybe it is an anger issue, a root of bitterness, maybe it is stress, impatience, self-discipline, pride, selfishness, lust, substance abuse, or self-gratification in some way. The more that Christ is formed in your life in that area, the more peace you will experience. The point here is that you can have peace within you even though you are not at peace with a certain struggle in your life. That may be tough to comprehend. Reality is, we can have peace in a world that's not at peace. We can have peace with God and peace with uh, each other and peace in our circumstances and even peace with ourselves. We can like ourselves. Can I just tell you, like yourself as much as God likes you. Even when you're struggling and failing in the spiritual walk, like yourself as much as God likes you. We sang it today, we were singing it, and I immediately thought of this. We sang that line, God is for us, not against us. If God is for you and not against you, would you be for you and not against you as well? So point number one, we can be at peace in a world without peace. And now in about two or three minutes, I'll give you point two. But it's like this, okay? Point one, we can be at peace in a world without peace. Number two, we can be the peace in a world without peace. You can be the peace in a world without peace. Let me just revisit a couple of verses we mentioned earlier here. Matthew 2, 3, when Herod the king heard this, that Jesus was born, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And let me just tell you this morning that if you reject Christ... If you reject Christ, you're going to be troubled in your soul and you're not going to know peace. If you are not in Christ, if you are in Adam, you are not going to know peace. I don't care what you try. You're not going to know peace. And the sad, I said this was the saddest verse in the, in the whole Christmas narrative. When Herod the king heard this, that Jesus was born, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why is this such a sad verse? Because here's the reality. Why did Jesus come? He came for those whose souls were troubled and heavy and hurting. He came. He was the answer, and they were troubled by the answer. Think about that. Are you troubled by the answer? Have you rejected the only way you're going to know peace in a world without peace? I pray you haven't. That's the reality. And as I said earlier, you'll be looking and longing every Christmas for peace. And you're not going to find it. You'll be left empty because of the traditions and the parties and the gifts and the memories and the resolutions will never replace the acceptance and the love and the joy and the peace found in Christ. And there's no one on this planet that is going to like you more than Jesus, is going to accept you more even in your failures. Location, location, location. You're either dead in your sins in Adam or you're alive in Christ and Christ is being formed in you day by day and week by week, and month by month, and year by year. So we can be, I tell you that, because we can be the peace in a world without peace. That's the reality. We can be the peace. So here's what I mean by that. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We mentioned it earlier. We've been reconciled to God, and He gave us the message and the ministry of reconciliation to be ambassadors and to go out and tell the world where they can find peace. That's what we need to be about. 
We need to, as the ambassadors of Christ, point people to the Prince of Peace. We need to let people know how they can experience true and inner peace. And I think of Simeon here. He explodes with such joy. He is filled with such praise and speaks with such power because Simeon knows that this baby... This baby is the Christ child, a light in the dark, salvation for all people, and the comfort for the troubled soul. And so finally, we can be a Simeon, and we can long for people to find peace in this world. We can be a Simeon, and we can long for people to find peace in this world. I believe that was Simeon. He just bore the weight of a world that desperately needed hope, and desperately needed peace, and desperately needed Christ. Desperately. And he longed for them. And when he saw the Christ child, he said, Now I can depart in peace because there is the prince of peace. Here's the thing. Can I, can I say this? 2,000 years ago, Simeon looked at the world around him and he saw the hopelessness and the, the darkness and the emptiness. He saw it, it was all around him. And he looked at it and he said, There's the answer. Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that 2,000 years later, it's the, it's the exact same. We look around, we see the hopelessness, the emptiness, the darkness. We see the troubled world all around us, and the answer has not changed 2,000 years later. The answer is Jesus. And we need to be the ones to take Jesus, take that answer to the world. Let me just ask you this morning, one question as we leave. And there are three of them there on your handouts, but I'm thinking of this middle question. Is there an area where you need to experience a deeper peace? Do you need to experience peace with God? Because that's where it starts. It starts right there. Having peace in your heart, in your relationship with God. But is there another person? Is there a relationship you need peace in? Is there a circumstance do you need to find more peace with yourself today? Just work that, unpack that, even in these final moments here. Where, where in my life do I need a deeper sense, a greater sense of the peace? And where do I need Christ to be formed in me so that I can know this peace heading into 2020? And I speak this today. I look in the mirror and say it to myself. We all know that we need peace somewhere. And something, we need Christ to be formed in us somewhere in the year ahead. Let's close in prayer and then let's sing a song together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the, the testimony. Thank you for the example of Simeon. His faithfulness to you, his, his being a righteous man. And, and thank you for the words that he speaks about Jesus and how his words are so significant because they tell us who Jesus is. It's just an, another affirmation of who this baby was. He was the promised child. Here's Simeon saying, yes, yes. He is salvation. He is light in the darkness. He is, print. He, he is peace in troubled times. And so, Lord, I pray that we can be thankful for Simeon and, Lord, help us today apply this however we need to apply it to our own life. I start with myself there. Help me this week just chew this over and more and more and as I head into 2020 as we all head into 2020 can we find that area where we want Christ to be formed in us so we can know more of your peace and everyone said Amen Let's stand.